0: We're going to be opening up to uh, Psalm chapter 19 this morning in uh, the Bible. The text is printed for you in your bulletin. You know, Chuck is walking through the book of Romans right now, and I will uh, get up and preach every four to five weeks or so and kind of give us a break. Generally, I'll be looking at something in the Old Testament to kind of break up the New Testament. It's going to take us a long time to get through Romans, so I'll be breaking that up as as time goes on. So um, that's what we're doing this morning. So we're looking at Psalm chapter 19. Uh, this morning, so the, the uh, text is in your bulletin, uh, just to give you a little bit of a context of the book of Psalms. You know, this uh, book is called the Psalter, um, or the book of Psalms. It was the hymn book of the Old Testament. So generally, in the Old Testament, people would be singing these hymns or these psalms together in corporate worship. So you'll see a lot of our modern day hymns even now do reflect that, right? They're taking words from the psalms, incorporating them. Sometimes we actually do sing full psalms even, even now. So many of uh, the psalms are used not only then for worship, but now as well. Uh, there are different authors throughout the book of Psalms, and you'll see that sometimes they are mentioned, many times they are. This morning you'll see uh, in your text that it is a Psalm of David, right? So this is, uh, David is the author who wrote this, uh, this chapter in the book of Psalms, um, Many people have gone before us in studying the book of Psalms and have categorized the book of Psalms, uh, each Psalm, into a different uh, category of what the author is really trying to get at, right? So this, uh, we've looked at this before. We see Psalms of confidence, right? Psalms of lament, like different, they're, they're getting at different areas of life. Well, today, what we're looking at is this is a wisdom hymn, a wisdom Psalm, okay? So it's giving us wisdom about the revelation of God, okay? And this psalm specifically, if you know like many uh, poems or music now, it's written in in a very specific way, that the psalms are written generally in the form of poetry, and it's very beautiful language. And this psalm specifically, C.S. Lewis says this about Psalm 19, he says this, I take this to be the greatest poems in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. And one of the recent scholars says this about Psalm 19. He says that this psalm combines the most beautiful poetry with some of the most profound biblical theology. I think this is one of the reasons I think, I don't know if I knew this before, but after studying this week, I think that this is one of the reasons I love the psalms, because often it's beautiful language speaking about beautiful truths. And what what a gift it is from the Lord to get um, even words that are beautiful when speaking about his revelation. So let's go ahead and open up to Psalm chapter 19. We're going to be looking at the entire uh, chapter, which is verses 1 through 14. To the choir master, a psalm of David, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. Fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare, declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, as we come before you uh, this morning, uh, we do pray, as we have prayed earlier in the service, that you would move in our hearts, that we would understand uh, your word through the working of your spirit, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, we know that uh, each day is a battle for us to turn to you, that we often will turn to sin, turn to things that we think will satisfy, and yet they let us down. Father, we see today from your word that you have revealed yourself to us, and this revelation is sweeter than honey, it is more precious than gold. And Father, we pray that we would take those words seriously, that we would look to your word that you would be here with us. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, as we get started, I want to start off with the question, okay? What in life do you feel like you need? What in life do you need? Okay, some of us would start off with saying, okay, well, I need to eat, I need to drink water, I need air to breathe, okay? We're going to start with those basic necessities, right? As uh, adults, we'll say fifth grade and above, because the fifth graders are in there, right? Sixth grade and above, we all have, have different needs in our lives, right? And I've been made more aware of this as I've had my third child. She is now seven months old. If you remember, if you've had children in the past, you know when they um, come into life, they need everything, right? Like they can't even sit by themselves. We have, they have to be held, they have to be fed. They have to have their diaper changed, right? But as life goes on, our needs change. Audra is now, she's turning eight months old tomorrow. She can sit up by herself. She holds her own bottle. She rolls around. She can, like, she'll say, she, I walk in the room, and she says, dada, right? She can say some things even, like, right? So, so things change. And I expect, and I hope, that, that as she grows, those needs will change further, right? That one day, she won't need me to change her diaper. She'll go to the bathroom by herself. She'll be able to feed herself, right? And like my other girls, like the, she'll, she'll start to learn to read and write. And when I go to a restaurant, I won't have to read the menu to them anymore, right? So, and then further in life, they're going to learn how to drive, and they're going to get themselves to school. After that, they're going to get careers, and they're, they're going to they're gonna hopefully be able to support themselves financially, right? Right? So over time, my children will need me less and less. And all of us in the room have gone through that progression, right? You were born into this world needing your parents so much. And as you've gone on in life, you've needed them less and less. And in the, in the West specifically, this idea of need, we feel like when we need other people, it makes us, it makes us feel weak, right? It makes us feel like I, I shouldn't need that. I shouldn't need anyone else. You know, there are some good things that I'm talking about here, but the intrinsic idea that I don't need anyone but myself is very Western and individualistic and not biblical because the, the Bible actually paints a very different picture of need, right? It paints a picture that we need each other, yes, but we need God. We need His revelation. We need to know Him and the ways that He has for us. That we're designed to know God, to need him, to commune with him, to walk with him. So today we come to a text, and it's healthy for us to see the need of a creator. The need for God himself. So the theme we're looking at, and this is in your bulletin, the outline's there as well, and I'll explain that in a second where we're going, is um, God's word is given not only to show us how to live, but to show us God himself. God's Word is given not only to show us how to live, but it shows us God Himself. And we're going to be looking at three different things. First, we're going to be looking at the skies. This is verses 1 through 6, the Scriptures. Secondly, verses 7 through 11. And then we're going to conclude with looking at the servant. Okay, So we're going to see the beginning in the skies. Look with me at verses 1 and 2. We're going to start there. It says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. So from the beginning, we see the psalmist. He's saying that um, the heavens and the skies, they reveal the work of a creator, that his glory and his wisdom are on display in the very world that we live in. And both the verbs that are used in verse one are, are explaining this, this continuous revelation that this is not something that just happened in the crea- creation of the world initially, but this is every single day. It says day by day in verse 2, night to night, right? It's saying that it is a continual revelation. that it, the, the actual creation is screaming to us, there is a creator. There is someone bigger than us that created all of this. That the creation is constant revelation. Constantly revealing day and day, night to night, the truth that there is a Creator. Verse 3, it goes on, it says this, There is no speech, there are no words whose voice is not heard. Verse 4, Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. Now this revelation of God is a wordless revelation. A wordless revelation. It is revealing God through what we see, what we taste, what we feel. It's experiential, right? That it is it, it is wordless. It's not revealing to us in words who God is, but by what we see, by the, the very world that we live in. But the beautiful thing is, because it is wordless, it is unrestricted by language or culture or geographical bounds. That, we, that no matter who the human is, wherever they live in the world, we look around and intrinsically we can say that there is a creator. Look around. That's what the text is telling us. And you know, in Romans 1, Chuck mentioned this a couple weeks ago. It says this. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been made clearly perceived. Perceived. Ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So we both see in both the Old Testament where David is speaking today. And in the New Testament where Paul speaks that God's glory is revealed all around you. He just, he's saying just look outside. Look at the sky and see the beauty of God. And I think it's interesting. In the first six verses, David uses the word in the Hebrew, el. E-L for the word God. That's how it's translated in the English. And it's only used one time. Now, when he uses this word, that is the generic word for God in the Old Testament. Okay, so it's a generic form. If, if somewhere else in the Old Testament they said, don't bow down to other gods, they would use the plural w- form of L. Okay, so we're going to get at this later, but I want you to see that he only says it one time. He does not use the personal name of Yahweh, but he uses a general term for God. In verses 4b-6, through he goes on through an analogy of the sun and what he is speaking about. He says that like the sun comes out in the morning, or a bridegroom comes out from a wedding canopy after they were married, or the champion confidently runs into battle, this is how the glory of the Lord is revealed in creation. No one can hide themselves from the sun, right? We can do all we can. Like when I was in college, right, I like s- literally stapled black comforters to my, to my window so I could sleep till 12, right? That's like what I did. I stayed up all night and slept till 12, and I had class at 1. But even then, some of the light came in still, right? Like we can't hide ourselves from the, from the sun, and that's what he's getting at. The creation screams it. We can't hide ourselves from that. You know, in 2016, we moved to St. Louis. I lived here in Las Cruces, in the southwest my whole life. Aside from being away from my friends and family and green chili, I would say that the thing that was most difficult for me was the clouds in the sky. Okay? So it's overcast all the time in St. Louis. And I'm used to here, right, what is it, like 300 days of sunshine, where I wear my flip-flops until mid-December, right? Like, that's what I was used to. But... Along with the clouds always being there, I rarely could see the sun, and I could rarely see the sun setting, which if you're from the southwest, you know how precious that is, right? Like, we love sunsets here. And I remember one time, I've I've mentioned that I used to run through this one park, Forest Park, and for some reason in the winter, it's actually less cloudy in St. Louis than in the summer, so... Uh, we would run through, and you know, St. Louis is full of trees, and, and by the wintertime, all the leaves have fallen off, so you can actually see more of the sky, because you can see through the trees, okay? So I'm running in Forest Park one day, and all the leaves are off the trees, and the sun is starting to set, and it, it, I, I, just, I, I can see it. I'm a southwest boy, I'm like, this is going to be a sunset right here. here it's, it's coming. I'm like running, watching the sky, trying to watch the road as I'm going, and I, did, it, I just I had to stop. Right? because this beautiful sunset comes up, pinks and blues and oranges. And you know I was having a hard time, and I'm an emotional guy, right? And I just started crying. <laughs> I'm like, look at what God has done. Look, look. And in that moment, for me, it was like God's faithfulness being displayed for me in the sky. That I, I, It was screaming at me, there is a creator who cares. Look. At that, look at his handiwork. And I would go back to this time after time in seminary, remembering his faithfulness to me through a sunset, right? And so as we look up, even now, we get to look up to the sky, we look up to the mountains, around to nature, our souls tell us that there is a God much greater than we are. But The beautiful thing is that the psalmist doesn't stop here, right? He goes on to say that, God's not only revealed in creation, but he's actually revealed in his word. So let's look next to the scriptures, which is verses 7 through 11. Okay, so we get to see in the first section, the sky and the heavens, they have eloquently declared the glory of God and the beauty of his handiwork. But the truth is, remember, he only uses the generic form of God in the first section. We can only generically know God through creation. So in verses 7 through 11, David moves from using this generic form of God, El, to using the personal name of God, Yahweh. And he repeats it over and over and over again, six times in this section. That this is how you personally know God is through his word is what he's trying to get at. So we see one synonym of the law after the other. And we're going to look at each very briefly. In verse 7, it says this. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Now this word, uh, law, in the Old Testament sometimes specifically is referring to the Torah or the Ten Commandments or the law of Moses. But here he's actually speaking of, he's referring to all of Scripture, right? It's God's revelation of himself to the created order. But it says here that the word is perfect. It is complete. It is without blemish. And it brings life to dead souls. And not only does it convert sinners, not only does it bring life where there was death, but it continually brings life to believers over and over again. It revives the souls of humans. The second half of, of seven says the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So the word it teaches us, right? It, it instructs us. The word simple here actually means uninstructed. So it teaches us more about God and more about creation. The Bible makes us wise and teaches us how to live. Verse 8, it goes on. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. And I want you to notice this. The first section, the word has made us alive. There is life that comes from the word. Secondly, it has given us insight. It helps us to understand who God is and how this world functions. And now, in the third thing he mentions, the Word brings joy to our heart. Once we are instructed in the Word, there is joy that overflows. Once we realize the beauty of the gospel of Jesus, joy is all we can have on our horizon. 8b, the second half of 8, it says the commitment... The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So in our joy, God provides our eyes with discernment through His Word. The believer is sharpened by studying His Word. He draws close to the Lord by studying the Word, and the Spirit moves through the Word to change the person. Okay, verse 9. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. So he shifts from this relationship with his people, right? The fear of, or we could say respect of God is ritually pure. So if you remember, this is the Old Testament, right? So there ha- it's one law after the other that they're having to keep to stay ritually pure. Okay, and he's saying that, that they got the fear of the Lord, it actually makes you uh, pure for all eternity. That the, if you're fearing the Lord, if you're turning to him, that is your purification through his grace. 9b says the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So he wraps up the whole list that he's spoken about so far and says that this word, his testimony, his commandments are righteous. Why? Because they reflect the character of God himself, right? The the, the law is a reflection. The word of God is a reflection of the character of God. Okay, so that's what is explained right there in the first... Four verses of that section. It explains what the Word does for us in revealing God specifically as a personal God to us. And in verses 10 through 11, it tells us how important God's Word is. Verse verse 10 says, More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Eleven. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. So we see in the first section how vital God's word is to the believer's life, right? We have to take ourselves, I want to I take us in context first. I wanted to leave us there in the book of Psalms with David in the Old Testament. But as a New Testament believer, you and me can read Psalm 19 a little bit differently, right? Right? That we have a different knowledge than David had. Because we know that God's revelation of himself was fulfilled fully in his son. That's why John uh, in his gospel says the word was made flesh and he dwelt among us. It is God's revelation in the flesh. So Jesus, the word incarnate, is revealed to humanity. First in the flesh. And secondly now as, as uh believers who live in 2022 we get to read and understand about who jesus is and what he has done so if these things are true for david we as as new testament believers can understand it even further right we understand how precious it is that jesus came and we have a revelation of that that he lived a perfect life and he died for us and he rose again beating sin on the third day verse 10 it says that these things should be more desired than gold. They should be sweeter than honey. So he's concluding this whole section saying that Jesus, this is how we can read it as New Testament believers, should be sweeter than honey, more precious than anything else in life. Nothing else should be more important. And in verse 11, it tells us that there's great reward, right? There's great reward for seeking The Lord, even in our own Catechism, Westminster Shorter Catechism, one: What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and what? Enjoy Him forever. Right? That there is reward not only in heaven but here, because this is the Word of the Lord. Often, when we come to a a text like this, it says the law of the Lord is. We're like, oh no, the law. That's like that's like rules. That's like oh that it 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 has a bad connotation in our mind, right? But actually, how the psalmist is speaking of it is it's beautiful. He's helping us on how we're intended to live, that we're intended to enjoy God and his creation. And his word is what reveals God and his ways to us. Okay, so you can imagine the type of uh, TV shows that get turned on during the day in my house, right? So, uh, you know, I always speak about like action movies and those sorts of things. Those don't go on during the day, right? So that's like at night. During the day, it's always some sort of cartoon. One of my girls' favorite shows right now is Bluey. Show of hands, who has seen the show Bluey? Not many. Okay, yes, you know. how. Okay, so it's very uh, short episodes. They're about six minutes long. Uh, it's a show about f- uh, a family of blue healers, okay? so But they speak, obviously. They're dogs, but they talk. And it's Australian, it's a really cool show, okay, it's, re- it's, it's amazing. And it's, a, it's just a realistic show about life in a family, okay, so it's mom, dad, sister, sister. Okay, so I mean, it's like totally realistic, like there's an episode where the dad's like on his phone in the kitchen, and the kids are like, dad, 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 and he's just like, go away, go away, go away, I mean, it's just like really realistic, okay, so in one of the episodes, they're in a, in, in a, a toy store, okay. So they're walking through this toy store, and the little girls, they're, it's really interesting, they're about my girl's age. They're like seven, eight, around there. Okay, so they're like saying, oh, Dad, can I get this toy? Can I get this toy? And he's saying, no, you, you have too many toys already. You have way too many toys. So it starts down this path of explaining to them, like, you have too many things. We need to get rid of some of your stuff. Okay, so it transitions to, they get to the house, right? And they start getting into the room, and they're saying, okay, we need to pick out some things to give away, we need to give away some of the toys that you have. And they would get to this toy, and the kids would say, it's special. It's special. And it's like one, it's like a, it's really funny because it makes it real life. Like he does it, they do it like 12 times in a row. It's like they pick up a toy. That's special to me. That's special. They say it just like that. you got to watch, watch watch, it. It is so cute. They say it over and over and over again. And finally, the dad's like, they can't all be special. That's special goes against the very word special if they're all special none of them are special right they can't all be special isn't that how we often live life (laughs) i thought about this text and i thought about this illustration like man that is me right there i look at my life and i say man my career it's special how people view me it's special god's word it's special But the psalmist does not paint that picture, right? He's saying, Jesus, it should be at the dead center. It is the only special thing, right? It is at the dead center of our lives that the word of God, the revelation of who Jesus is to us should be more important to us than anything else. And Chuck has mentioned this. It should be at the top of the cone of certainty with nothing near it. At all, right? And things creep up there, right? Like, like one after the other. They're just like what we do. And, you know, part of what we have to do as pastors, the hard thing is I have to look at the text, and I've told you this over and over again, but I think that we would all say in the room, or most of us would say in the room, that the Bible and God's revelation and Jesus, they're at the top, man. They're way up there. But our call is to say that you say that you believe that, but how does your life reflect it? How are, what are you functionally believing by your life? Because if I look at my life, that's not true. Okay, I know all the time that things creep up. That it, it, it makes other things just as important as God is in my life. And Psalm 19 tells us that to the non-believer, there is life in his revelation. In Psalm 19, it tells us that to the believer, there is life here. And when we turn to other things for life, prioritizing other things, we're essentially saying, God, I know better than you. I know how to run my own life. Or maybe we look to God's word and we say, I don't have time. I don't understand it. I don't know how to read it. But David tells us here that it should be more precious than anything else. Why don't you think about things in your life that you have really wanted? And went after with all your energy. Okay? I thought about when I asked that question to myself, I wrote it on my computer, I thought to myself, man, the energy I put to get my spouse when I was dating her and wooing her, right? Like that whole thing, that was the first thing that came to my mind to get into the career that I wanted to. How much energy and time did I, I spend? Maybe physical fitness. How much time have we spent doing those things? There's effort and energy that spends in these things that we, des- we love so much. And a lot of them are very good things, right? These are not bad things I'm talking about. But then I had to look and say that, what about God's word, like, am I spending energy there? Because if, if I say I believe that it's way up here in importance, but my life is saying, oh, it's actually way down here, then there's, there's a difference there in actually what, how our life is being lived. So if, if we believe that God's word is important, which I think most of us do, the call from Psalm 19 is to look to Jesus to see his word, to read it, to study it, to memorize it, to, it for it to be life to you constantly. Remember it said, in, in the, the creation is constantly revealing God's glory. Well, we're called to constantly be looking to God, to be nourished by his revealed word. Okay, we're going to conclude looking at the servant. This is really David's uh, response, and we're going to um, see this in verses 12 through 14. Okay? okay, verse 12 says, Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So we see in the first two sections, we see that, that, that God is revealed to us through creation. Section one. Section two was he is revealed to us in His word, right? And third, we get to see that he moves from God's revelation, focusing upon God, to focusing on the writer, right? And we see a stark tone change in verse 12 as as the psalmist David, he looks to himself. Initially, he looked up to God, which caused him to praise him. But now he looks to himself, and he becomes more aware of his unworthiness. And after the, the, the shock, you can feel it, how the language changes. It's almost too much for him. The only thing left to do for him is pray. He's saying, make me blameless, God. After looking to your glory, all I can do is plead for help and forgiveness. Now, this is when being a New Testament believer is really, like we have an advantage over David, right? Like if he was known that he, if he, he knew that he was saved by grace, We know it even more. We get a fuller picture, right? When you and me look at a text like this and we see the beauty of God that's revealed, we can come away with a very similar reaction. We can feel unworthy. We can feel unclean.